there's many strange things this year that have happened and many unexpected things and some unusual things. And one of the things is, I guess, it's a very small, minor thing, and this, uh, but it's that they haven't been able to make new TV programs. <laughs> have you noticed that? That uh, because of the corona thing, they haven't been able to get people into TV studios, and so they're doing lots of reruns and lots of bests off at the minute. You know, I'm just waiting for the best of Kojak or something to come on. Um, because they can't make new programs, and so they're just they're trying to rehash and, 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 and redo a lot of old programs. And, and some of you are finding yourself watching stuff that you've seen before, but uh, there's just nothing else on. And the other thing you're finding yourself maybe doing is watching things that you would never have watched before. Like this week, that happened to us. I, I, full confession here, folks. We started watching The Crown this week. <laughs> Okay, we've just divided into the sheep and the goats here in church, and I'm sure online as well. How many of you watch The Crown? I'll be honest, it's not like I've been to be a drug dealer. Okay, close, close, no. Uh, We started watching it this week simply because there was nothing else, but we didn't start on season one. There's some programs that you have to start at the start. Uh, When it comes to history, you can kind of pick up on where they left off. And so we started on the most current season, which is the fourth Season and the only reason I kind of half wanted to watch it is because it looked quite interesting. It uh, it's got two of the key people who I remember from my childhood. One of them is my hero, and the first service laughed at this Margaret Thatcher. Um, yes, <laughs> I've got them back again. Um, people laugh, but actually, I I I I think Margaret. If, if we had leadership like Margaret Thatcher in our country at this time, I think we would be an awful lot further along. I'm going to leave it at that. The other one who I don't uh, idolise so much, not that I idolise Margaret Thatcher, but uh, who is a different place. It's is, is, it, it, church, uh, Diana and, and, and Charles meeting and their courtship and their marriage and, and all of that, which I thought would be quite interesting to watch because I remember, like some of you who are as old as me, if not older, remember exactly where you were when Diana died. Um, some of you are like, who's Diana? Um, but uh, but we were watching this week, and, and I said to Becky last night, you know, will we watch something else tonight? And uh, she said, ah, it's a bit depressing, isn't it? This whole thing about the crown. I said, well, they can't really do much about it. You know, like, they can't really have Charles and Diana living happily ever after. It's kind of got to have some histor- historicity about it. Um, but uh, but we, we, like I said, we jumped into season four. And what I do when I do that is I, I watch the most recent season, and if I like it, if I really like it, very often I'll go back and start, or I'll go back to the third season and the second season, and I'll kind of watch it backwards. And that's kind of a little bit about what I'm doing today. A few weeks ago, if you were here, I did a message called uh, Running on Empty, and I looked at Elijah. Some of you will remember that, about Elijah uh, being burnt out and running and hiding and God meeting him. And as I, as I looked at that, God began to draw me back into Elijah's life. God began to draw me back into First Kings. And, and I began to explore it more and more, and I realized how relevant it is for today. Isn't it incredible that God's word, this passage, this story that was written almost 3,000 years ago, was written at a time of national crisis, where God's people had been on a steady decline away from God, and we'll talk about that in a second, but they had a leadership that was inept and corrupt and incompetent. They had a, just, I'm not, but they, they had a, a nation that had once had God at the center and had turned away from God over different generations. That they'd started, and it was largely to do with leadership, that they'd started where they had Yahweh, the God of Israel, and they put other gods alongside him. And then it got to the stage where they actually pushed God out completely and just only worshipped the other gods. And that was largely to do with a king called Ahab 
and his lovely sweet wife called Jezebel. And uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago, but Ahab was, uh, I guess, I wonder how you would put it today. It would be, I'm trying to think really hypothetically here, it would be like having somebody as the president of a country who wasn't really fit to be president, but having somebody else pulling the strings behind them, okay? Uh, Totally irrelevant to today, but that's kind of what it was like. Uh, Jezebel was the one who was really in control, and, and the only thing that uh, uh, Ahab ever said was, yes, ma'am, whatever you say, ma'am, whatever, two, three bags full, ma'am, because she was the one who had imported her gods into Israel, that they were meant to worship Yahweh. She brought her gods in, and not only did she start then building a temple and worshiping her gods, but she started to slaughter and kill the prophets of the one true God because she couldn't have any semblance of the past there. She wanted total devotion to Baal. And the people started to go along with it because when leadership is corrupt, the people aren't far behind. And God had warned them what would happen. God had told his people hundreds of years before this through the law, through Deuteronomy, exactly what would happen if they stopped worshipping him and turned to idolatry and immorality. Look, I'm not going to read it all, but just a few verses here from Deuteronomy 11. God said, So if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your cattle and you will eat and be satisfied. God promises that if they love him, if they obey him, if they worship him, if they serve him, he will send rain. We would say, God, no, send us sunshine. We will love you. We will worship you. We will do anything if you send us sunshine and warmth. That's because we live in Northern Ireland where we have no shortage of rain. Imagine you lived in a desert in an arid, barren, dry place with an agricultural culture that the economy was fully dependent on crops and livestock. Rain was seen as the blessing for God. Rain was what you needed. Rain caused the grass to grow, which meant the, the, the animals could eat. Rain caused the wheat to grow so that you could eat. The whole thing was based on rain. And so rain in that culture was seen as a sign of God's blessing and God's favor and God's goodness and the people's obedience. And so when God withholds the rain, it's a sign of his displeasure. You know, it just got me thinking that sometimes our burden is somebody else's blessing. Like, we don't like rain. We're not big on rain. If you're anything like me anyway, I, don't, I look at my app on the phone. If it's a dry week, even if it's like cold, if it's dry, I'm happy. If it's raining every day, I'm sad. That's just the way I am. Uh, in other countries of the world, they would not look at their phones probably, but they would, if it was dry, they'd be sad, and if it rained, they'd be happy. And sometimes it just got me thinking that sometimes what we consider a burden is somebody else's blessing. Like your four-year-old who is driving you nuts, somebody else would find that four-year-old to be a blessing because they're praying for a child. That husband or wife who's driving you crazy at the minute, 
Somebody else is praying for a husband and wife. Probably not yours. Hopefully not yours. Um, although some of you would be like, take them. Take them. I'll bless you. You know, that, that 10-year-old that you've been praying all week, Lord, please don't close down the schools. I'll do that. You know, somebody else would love that. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes we, I think we just need to remember that sometimes the things that we think are a burden are actually to somebody else a blessing. Like, I found myself this week getting really annoyed and frustrated about something I told the first. I'm not even going to tell you what it was. But it was stupid. It was such a first world problem. Do you know what I mean? And I realized that somebody else would love to have that problem. That, that sometimes we just need to get a bit of perspective in all of this. In the midst of, and believe me, like I say, if you know me, you will know what my emotions are like this week and why I can't respond to some of your text messages. It's not because I don't love you. It's just because that I if I get into it with you, I will not be very Christian. Um, We need to also, in the midst of all of that frustration and, 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 and rightful frustration at times, we also need to keep perspective, folks. We need to keep perspective. And that's why I reminded us we've had four months to gather here. We've had four months and we'll be back in a few weeks. There's people who would love to come to a church like this one week a year. There's people who would love to sing with God's people. There's people in other countries who are being persecuted, who are being beaten today because they follow Jesus. And so I just, I want to, in the midst of my own, I'm constantly having to remind myself that what I consider a burden, somebody else would consider a blessing. And for God's people here, blessing was rain and a burden was no rain. And because the people had drifted further and further from God, God then keeps his word. And he speaks through a guy called Elijah, God's prophet, God's spokesman. Somehow as Elijah is hearing from God, communing with God, praying, he senses and he maybe reads the law in Deuteronomy and he believes this is a word for now. This is a word for that time. Even though it was written hundreds of years before by Moses, that that word from Deuteronomy about God withholding the rain, that's a word for now. Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? You'll be reading your Bible and you'll read a passage that you've heard, you know, maybe hundreds of times and it just jumps off the page. That logos, that word, that written word becomes a rhema. It becomes a now word. It becomes a promise that God is speaking to you in the moment. And, 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 and that's what happens Elijah. As he studies and as he hears from God, he, he, God speaks to him and says, there's not going to be any more rain. I'm going to withhold my blessing. I'm going to withhold the rain. There's going to be no more rain. And so uh, look at, he goes to King Ahab and look at what he says, 1 Kings 17, 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was from Tishbe, I was always wondering what somebody from Tishbe was called, they're called Tishbites, in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And for the next three and a half years, there is not a drop of rain. And I read that, and I, yes, I, I, I wondered why it said dew and rain. Like, why not just say there's going to be no rain? Why did it say dew, not J-E-W, D-E-W? Why did it say there's not going to be dew or rain? And as I studied it this week, and I looked up, uh, did some research, you know what I discovered? That Baal... The God that they were now worshipping, do you know what another name for Baal was? The God of Jew and Rain. Baal, the God of Jew and Rain. 
And God speaks to Elijah the prophet, the one who speaks for Yahweh, and says, at my word, there's not going to be any dew or rain. In other words, right now we're going to see who's the true God. You're all worshipping Baal, the, the God who controls dew and rain. He controls nothing. Everything is under the authority and the lordship and the kingship of Yahweh, the one true God. He is the one who controls dew and rain. And so God speaks to Elijah, and Elijah speaks it to Ahab. And for the next three and a half years, there's not a drop of rain. And when you've no rain, you get a drought. When there's no rivers or streams or lakes, you get a drought. And when you get a drought, the animals have no water. And when the animals have no water, they start to die. When the crops have no water, they start to die. And when there's no crops and there's no animals, there's a famine in the land, and then the people start to die. In other words, the problem wasn't the famine. The problem was the drought. That they were trying to deal with the famine for three and a half years, But the problem wasn't the famine. The problem was the drought. And actually the problem wasn't the drought. The problem was that they had disobeyed God. That they had been rebellious. That they were idolatrous. That they were immoral. And so here they are trying to sort out the famine. When actually God has said, I want to get my people to the stage where they're dealing with the real issue. Which is their disobedience and their waywardness. From me. And I sometimes wondered, are we trying to deal with the problem that isn't the problem? Even on a bigger scale right now, we're trying to deal with unemployment, people losing their jobs, the economy tanking, all of that. But that's not, the economy's not the problem. COVID's the problem. No COVID, the economy would be completely fine. A year ago, the economy was booming, it was flourishing, and it would be booming right now. So we, it's, it's tempting to say, well, if we could deal with COVID, we could deal with the economy, but maybe actually we need to go back another layer or two. Maybe it's not COVID. Maybe there's something else going on behind the scenes. Maybe there's more to this all than meets the eye. And maybe COVID is simply a symptom of a world that has turned its back on God. Maybe COVID is a symptom of of a world that has stuck two fingers up at its creator and said, we're going to go our own way and do our own thing. And maybe rather than trying to deal with the economy or trying to deal with COVID, what the world needs to do is get on our knees and cry out to the God of heaven, the God who made everything, and say, God, we repent of our pride and our stubbornness and our waywardness and our rebellion and our hard-heartedness, and we repent and we turn back to you. Maybe the problem isn't the problem. Maybe it's something completely different. And maybe God is using this Not necessarily sending it, but using this to shake the nations and bring them back to him. To shake off all the stuff and the pride and the dross and the stubbornness and the selfishness and the sexual immorality in our culture where we have thought we can do our own way. God, you're old-fashioned. We want nothing to do with you. And God has said, okay, you just try this on your own. I'll step back if you want me to. I'll withhold my blessing. I'll withhold my protection. And let's see how you get on. 
And maybe we need to cry out to him and say, God, we need you. As a land, we need you. As a culture, we need you. As a world, we need you, God. We cannot do without you. Maybe there's something in this shaking. And the shaking, even after this, I believe that's just... We, uh, I'll get into this another week. But uh, this is not it. You know, this is like... like there's, there's going to be more shaking. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's just the Bible says that. God is trying to turn people's hearts to him. And he will do whatever it takes. And he will shake us and he will strip everything from us until we get to the place where we will bow the knee. So maybe the problem isn't the Let's bring it to a personal level. You know, say someone with an addiction to a substance or just looking at stuff, to watching stuff, to anything. Anyone with an addiction to anything. You can try to deal with the addiction, but the addiction is normally a symptom of something else. That the addiction is a symptom of Somebody trying to fill a vacuum in their life. Somebody trying to fill a meaninglessness in their life. Somebody trying to uh, run from something, hide from something, not face up to something. And so we try to deal with that when actually it's like putting a stick and plaster over a broken leg. It just doesn't do anything. And maybe sometimes we need to go back and, and actually get to the soul and the heart and the root of the problem. And, and Let me put it crudely. It would be like, Somebody dumping a pile of manure outside your house, okay? And over a few days then, the manure starts to attract flies. And every day you go out with your fly swatter, and you're trying to hit the flies, and you're trying to kill the flies. And then you get your spray, and you're spraying the flies, and you're spraying your flies. And you wonder why they keep coming back. Deal with the manure. Get rid of the manure, and the flies are already dealt with. And sometimes we're trying to deal with the stuff on the surface, and God would say, actually, I want to go deeper. In this shallow, superficial culture, where it's all about just on the outside and how things look, and in this social media culture where it's all, I want to get to the heart, I want to get to the root, I want to get to the soul, I want to get to the foundation of what's really going on in your life. There's a famine in Samaria but the famine isn't because of the drought. The famine is because of their disobedience to God. And then in chapter 18, verse 1, we read this. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I wonder if he had heard anything in between. We just read these things. I wonder if for a few years God hadn't really spoken to him. And then the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and he says this, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. God wants to deal with the drought. But before he does that, he's going to deal with their disobedience. And what he does is this. He gets Elijah to go and confront the prophets of Baal. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. You remember they are on Mount Carmel and they have their two bonfires, their two altars. And he says, we're going to see who's the real God here. He says, you go first. You call down fire from heaven and if your offerings burnt up, your God's the real God. And nothing happens and he taunts them and he mocks them. And then he builds his altar. But not only that, you know what he does? He pours water on it. What's going on in the land at that time? There's a drought. And here's Elijah pouring buckets of water. Do you ever think about that? I've read that so many times and I've never thought about that. There's a drought in the land. There hasn't been rain for three and a half years. 
and Elijah's chucking buckets of water. That's how much God is mocking the foreign gods, the other gods. He's saying, you're the God of rain and dew and you have nothing. I have so much water available if if you turn to me, if you're one of my people, that you can just chuck it on the fire. And he calls down fire from heaven that's consumed and all of the people repent. They cry out, Yahweh is the true God and they slaughter all of the false prophets. In other words, they've lanced the boil. They've got to the root of the sickness. They've got to the the heart of the infection. What was the infection? That they were worshipping foreign gods. They turned back to Yahweh. They slaughtered the false prophets. And therefore, God can bless them again. And I wonder sometimes in our own lives, are we busy trying to get the blessing of God by doing things? And God has said, I don't need you to do something. I need you to get rid of some things. There, I want to bless you. I have so much more for you. I have so much more I want to give you. But you will not kill this thing in your life. And because you're holding on to this one thing in your life, it is blocking my blessing. I want to open the heavens over your life. But you're holding on. If you will kill this one thing. You know, the Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sometimes we're praying against obstacles and opposition God's actually going I'm opposing you because I want to deal with the pride in your heart but that's too convicting for us to think about so let's move on Elijah said Ahab verse 41 go eat and drink for there is the sound of a heavy rain they've dealt with the problem and so now God is going to send them rain I'm going to send the abundance of rain Now, is there rain? No. Is there a drop of rain? No. But Elijah hears the word of God. He senses it in his spirit. And though he can't see it with his eyes, he speaks it with his mouth. He says to Ahab, there is the sound of a heavy rain. There's not even a cloud in the sky we're going to see in a minute. Ahab couldn't hear the sound of rain. No one else could hear the sound of rain. But Elijah could hear it because his ears were tuned to God. And this is a time in our world today when we need to be tuned to God. We need to be close to God. When there's voices from BBC and voices from politicians and voices from experts and voices from Gertrude and social media who has been watching too many videos on YouTube and and all these voices coming into our... And we need to sometimes just go, I need to hear the voice of the Lord. And the closer you are to him, the more you will hear his voice. If I was driving to Dublin, if I had 97.4 Cool FM on, the further I get from the signal, the quieter the signal becomes, the more static and the harder it is to hear it. The further we get from God, the harder it is to hear his voice. When we're close to him, we will hear him when people are around. And there has ever been a time for the church to hear the voice of God and not the opinions of others. It is now. Elijah sensed it with his spirit before he saw it with his sight. And sometimes that will happen. We won't see it with our eyes, but we will sense it in our spirit that God's going to shift something. God's going to move something. God's going to do something. We believe God gives us a word. God gives us a promise from his word. and We cling to it and we believe it even though we don't see it. But we need to birth the promise. Look at verse 42. We're nearly done. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. 
Look at the difference in the two people. The king of Israel, who should have been leading his people towards God, he goes off for a KFC 10-piece bargain bucket, okay? He just wants some grub at that stage. What does Elijah do? Elijah climbs a mountain. He wants to be away from the noise, and he puts his head between his knees. Now, I love being visual up here. I loved, I'm not going to do that today, okay? Because my back and my body would not be up for it. But he puts his head between his knees, and he begins to pray. Why is he in that position? Why does he put his head between his knees? One is to block out the other noises so he can focus completely on Yahweh, on God, and on what God's saying. He doesn't need other voices. He needs to hear from God. But the main reason is that at that time, Hebrew women did not have nice maternity wards and nice beds and nice midwives when they went into hospital and gave birth, and which made it really easy and painless like it is today. <laughs> I know. If anybody has a spare room tonight, I will uh, be glad to come and stay. Um, oh my goodness, me, if Luke's could kill. Um, but they didn't have that. You know what they did? They got into a birthing position and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed and they pushed. And it didn't look pretty and it wasn't pleasant. But they knew they had something inside them and it needed to come out. And they just had to keep on pushing through the pain. They had to keep travailing no matter how painful it got because there was something inside them. It started as a seed. It germinated. It grew. And now it was time for them to give birth. And so they pushed and they pushed until what was inside them came out. And that's exactly what Elijah's doing. God has given him a word. God has given him a seed. It's going to rain. And so Elijah starts pushing. He starts prevailing in prayer. He starts travailing in prayer. And he prays. And at first nothing seems to happen. He says to his servant, I want you to go and check if there's any rain. And the servant goes, No, Elijah, there's nothing. Okay. And he's praying. Okay, go and check now. Nothing. Three times. Elijah, there's nothing there. Four times. No. Elijah, let's go home. In fact, let's go and find Ahab and have, see if there's any chicken left. Like, like, this is just getting ridiculous. And Elijah's like, no, because I know there's something inside me. God has spoken. There's a word. There's a seed. And I'm going to pray. And I'm going to travail. And I'm going to prevail. And I'm going to keep on pushing. And he pushes. And he pushes. And he pushes. Five times, no, nothing. Six times, nothing. At that point, I would have been long gone. And he keeps pushing because when God has spoken, his word does not return empty. And he pushes and he pushes. And the seventh time the servant goes and he goes, Elijah, there's a cloud. There's a cloud. I mean, that's tiny. It's so tiny, it's so insignificant, but there's a cloud. And Elijah knows that the promise is coming. Just like when the head appears, it's called the crown, crowning. You know that the baby is on its way. Elijah knows that the promise is coming, that the rain is coming, that he has prevailed in prayer, that he has pushed through in prayer. And sometimes we give up way too easily. We pray once, Lord, would you please get me a job? Oh, I guess it's not the Lord's will for me to have a job then. 
because then nobody phoned me today and offered me a job. Sometimes we need to prevail. Sometimes we need to travel. Sometimes we need to push through. We need to keep on going. We need to, nothing happened once, nothing happened twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. The seventh. Imagine if he had given up at four, five, or six. And some of us are way too passive in our faith and we give up way too easily. And we think, well, if God wants it to happen, well, it's going to happen, whatever it would be, would be. And God says, no, I have given you authority. In my sovereignty, I have given you authority to push through and press through in prayer and take hold of my word and take hold of my promises and to labor and to push and to travail until what I have said in my word is what you see in your life. Don't let go of what I have said, even if you don't see it. Cling on to my promises, because what I have said will come to pass. Big doors move in small hinges. In other words, it was only the size of a hand. It was insignificant. And some of the things in your life right now that seem so insignificant are the very things that God wants to use to impact you and to impact the people around you. God always takes a little and makes it a lot. Two fishes and five loaves. A little bit of oil in the widow's house. God always starts with a little, with what you have, which seems insignificant. And he says, if you will just trust me with that, you will see what I can do with it. It looks like nothing. It doesn't look like much. And yet, it was enough. It was like God gave him a deposit. You know, yesterday Elijah came into my room first thing in the morning. He said, Craig, I'm making uh, Christmas things. I don't know what you'd call this. Um, don't tell him I said that. Um, some Santa thing. And uh, he said, I'm taking orders. Do you want one? And I said, yeah. He said, 50p. <laughs> I'm so proud of him. He's 22, but no, he's not. He's eight, just. Um, and uh, and uh, I said, okay, 50p. I said, do you need a deposit now? He said, what's a deposit? I said, it's like a down payment. It's like, I'll give you 10p now. And that's a sign that the rest is uh, it's on its way when you've finished giving me the, you know, it even says daddy inside. Oh, it's so nice. Like, there you go. Look at that, huh? Better not ruin it. He'll cry. Um, down payment, a deposit. Sometimes God doesn't give you the whole lot up front. He gives you a deposit. He gives you a down payment. He gives you a glimpse. He gives you a little bit. But when you get that little bit, it's like the crown of the head. You know the rest is coming. You know the rest is coming. You know that you've prevailed in prayer. And that's what he's doing here. The door to God's will is often marked push. It's not passive, but it's about pushing and prevailing in prayer. Pushing against doubts and fears. Pushing against weariness and pain. Pushing against frustration and failure. Pushing against disappointment and discouragement. Pushing against demons and hell. Pushing against opposition and obstacles. Why don't we start pushing through this thing? God's people need to push and pray through this thing. God's people need to start pushing back darkness and praying in light. Pushing back sickness and praying in health. Pushing back despair and praying in hope. We can't just accept this as it is. God has given us so much authority if we will use it. But most of us give up way too easily. And I think my message today, if it's anything, it is this. Don't give up when you don't see 
what God has said. In your marriage, don't give up if things don't get better immediately. In your finances and you're trying to get out of debt, don't give up if you don't see what God has promised immediately. In any part of your life and relationships, don't give up, but push through and take hold of God's word and get into the birthing position and say, God, I am not going to let go. I want to finish with a story, and I've told it before. If you come to Hope regularly, I have about five stories that you're going to hear every six months, and that's okay. That's okay, because I've got the microphone. And you try and do this every week. And... But no, I have about five or six stories that have shaped my relationship with God, my view of faith, my view of prayer, all of that. That God has done, you know in the Old Testament they set up those stones to remind themselves, I have these stones that I constantly go back to and one of them is this story. Back to the year before we left Dublin, it was the first Sunday of the new year. I was preaching on Hannah from 1 Samuel and how she had longed for a child. And I noticed there was a couple sitting over to my left. It was the first time they'd been there. And as I was preaching about Hannah and her praying for a child, I noticed this couple were crying and sobbing. And I knew it was their first time there, and I thought, goodness, that's not good. But I didn't get talking to them afterwards. Then the following week, they're there, and I'm preaching about uh, Joshua walking around the walls of Jericho seven times. And I keep saying, don't stop on six. It was a sermon I'd heard from, don't stop on six, don't stop on six. And this couple are bawling their eyes out. And I'm like, oh, this is really bad. And so afterwards, I make sure I go over and I see them and I introduce myself. And they say, I'm Rob and I'm Bridget. And I found out they're from Dublin. Typical couple in their 30s. Just trying to build a life for themselves. And, and uh, they were spiritual, nominal Catholic, like most people in Dublin, but had never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. They might even be watching this morning. And... Uh, and I said, look, I've noticed, I don't want to pry, but the last two weeks I've noticed that as I've been preaching, you've been crying. I'm, I'm sorry, have I done, is, there, is everything okay? And I said, yeah, Craig, it's just what we want most is, is a child. We've longed for a child for so long. In fact, we long for it so much, we've had IVF, not once, not twice, not three, four, five, but six times we've had IVF, and it hasn't worked. And they said, just on the way to church this morning, we decided we were giving up. It had taken its toll on us financially, emotionally, on our finances, on our, our, just our marriage, all of that. And they said, we just, sex is enough. Just on the way to church, we just decided no more. And then we get here and there's this crazy northern guy at the front going, don't stop on sex, don't stop on sex, don't stop on sex, don't stop on sex. And they said, that's why we're crying, Craig. And they said, last week you spoke about Hannah and the praying for a child, her praying for a child and God gave her a son. And this week you're telling us don't stop on sex and we decided we were stopping on sex. And so they said we're believing that God is going to answer our prayer. And so they took hold of that and they prayed and they labored and they prayed and they labored and they prayed and they labored. And a number of months later I got an email from them. She wasn't pregnant with a child. She was pregnant with two and this is more recent photograph of them. Daniel and Sarah Beth. They're little miracle babies. Do you know why? Because they didn't give up. When what you see doesn't line up with what you believe God has said, don't 
breakthrough, prevail, travail. Hold on to his promises, cling to his word. At this time and all around us is chaos and crisis. We need to stand on this book. This is our solid ground. This is our firm foundation. This is our rock. In a shaking world where everything is shifting and unstable, it is the truth of what God has said that will get us through. Even if what we see right now does not line up with what he has said, this is still more true than what we see. And this is what we will build our lives on.